again. I'm glad that uh, you're all here. And uh, again, I want to just uh, welcome the Blooms with us. I'm glad that Pastor Blooms here and Joyce. Um, uh, we're uh, honored to have them there. I, I remember um, the first time that I met Pastor Bloom. Uh, it was actually on uh, my installation Sunday here. And he came up to me and he shook my hand. I didn't know who, who he was at first. Uh, and then he told me, and I, I thought, oh, wow, I'm so thankful that you're here. So thank you again for being here and um, spending some time with us and uh, supporting the work of the ministry here at First Baptist. Uh, so today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 18. Uh, Psalm chapter 18. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And we're looking at this idea of this living rock. So we just sang about it, um, this almighty fortress. Um, that is our God. Uh, we'll see that in the text today. Uh, and I, I love when you have a contemporary song, um, a song like those, the one that Phil Wick- Wickham wrote, uh, and there's just all kinds of text woven throughout there. And so I love the hymns too, because uh, when we sing those, those are chocked full of the biblical text as well. Uh, and so I think we'll start to see more and more. There's a lot of great songs out there too, as we combine our mix of worship uh, that have both of those elements. And so this living rock, this is the God that we serve and the phrase I want you guys to remember is, everything you ever need. Now, initially, I, I heard this phrase as Christy and I were watching a movie, uh, The Greatest Showman. And uh, if you've seen that before, you know, Hugh Jackman can do more than, like, fight people, right? Uh, he can also sing. So that's cool if you've seen any of those movies. But we saw that movie, and it was a musical. Yes, guys, it's okay to watch musical, see things about, you know, songs. And so as we were watching it, there was this song right at the beginning. And if you don't know the background to this movie, um, it's the story of how, how the Ringling Barnum and Bailey's circus started. And so it's been around for a very long time. <clears throat> and there's this guy, P.T. Barnum, and he wanted to start this circus. And he initially had a lot of other things and uh, just animals and, you know, people on trapeze and stuff like that. And he was just—he was famous for kind of overselling things. You know, this wonderful show, and it didn't quite always match up, but it was still a cool thing to go to. And there was a line in the song that goes like this: "It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. It's here, right in front of you. This is where you want to be." And when I heard that, I thought, "Well, I know, <laughs> I know what I know about that. I know where I could use that phrase as well about God, about His Word, about the relationship that I have with Him through." Jesus. And, and as P.T. Barnum kind of built this franchise of circuses, and he, he kind of built it off of overselling things and creating these, you know, these phrases around, this is where you want to be. I mean, don't be anywhere else because you're going to miss out. Well, the place I think we're going to miss out most is not participating in this relationship with God through Jesus Christ that we can experience life through, that we cannot just have that, not just have salvation, that as we kind of just sort of like get our way through this life, and as things, you know, they don't always go our way, we experience difficulty, and we go, well, there's hope in eternal life. We have that. And while that's true, we can experience life far more abundantly than I think we believe a lot of the time. That, that being with God, being in His presence, knowing Him personally, there's so much more joy than I feel like we experience on a regular basis. And it's because we just get bogged down, right? We get bogged down with everything that life throws at us. But the truth is that we have everything we need in God. And so as you turn there, maybe you're new to the Bible or the book of Psalms. Maybe you're watching online. You're going like, I have no idea why I'm here today, but I'm going to keep listening. So here's what we know about the book of Psalms. It was written over a vast period of time, and David uh, was the guy who wrote over half of the Psalms. 
There's another guy named Ezra who years later compiled the book of Psalms while they were returning from exile to rebuild the temple and then eventually rebuild the wall. And as he's doing, he's gathering all these writings from these, uh, these fathers of the faith, including David, <clears throat> who wrote about a lot of things. He wrote about his life. Um, he wrote about his relationship with God, and he also wrote about the future. Now, Psalm 18 is one of these special psalms. It's kind of a continuation of Psalm 17 that we read a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that God's the greatest listener of all time. Remember that? And so in Psalm 18, he's continuing this, but he's also going to give us these pictures of the future, what God's going to do in the future, what he's doing right now, and what he did in David's life. And all these things David's writing about towards the end of his life. He writes a few things, kind of his life is progressing. Then at the end of his life, he finishes this psalm, Psalm 18, and he shares with us some really, really important things. They're going to give us perspective. You ever wonder why when you're like sitting with grandma or grandpa who, who know God and have been following him for a long time, and you're going through a problem and you share it with them, and they just say something, you're like, I can't believe I didn't think about that. I can't believe I didn't think about it that way. Well, there's a reason for that, because like David, who had been walking with God throughout his entire life, he gives us this perspective of wisdom and godliness that we can't get a lot of times from our own situation, right? And so as we jump into it, the first fill in the blank is going to be everything in Jesus, everything in Jesus. Now, when we first start out this psalm, we go, I don't see Jesus' name anywhere, but we know about what David is writing, and I'll show you, is that he's pointing towards uh, he's pointing towards the variety of the Godhead, so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he's pointing primarily to Jesus, to the Lord. Well, how does he do that? I mean, Jesus didn't show up until later on when, remember, he was born as a little baby in Bethlehem, and we actually, if you read The Quiet Time today, The Quiet Time talked about that, how Micah was shown a picture of the future, how Jesus was going to come, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so while that's true, we know that Jesus is, as the text refers to him, we'll see this word for Lord Jehovah, this ever-existing one, or this never-ending one who existed from before anything existed to existing to in eternity. And so we got we to think about Jesus in the right way. So maybe if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, I learned something new. Excellent. So David, he starts it out like this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. And this is great because he, he didn't say, well, I love you, O Lord, like in, you know, in all other stuff I got in my life because it helps me feel better about myself. No, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. So in the Hebrew, the word, I love you, Rahim, to love deeply. And he says, uh, O Lord, Jehovah. And it, again, it means just ever existing one. So it's, it's used in the Old Testament 6,000 times. So it's a lot of times. Just think about Jesus whenever you read this, okay? And he says, my strength. And it's only actually used one time in the Old Testament. So, so David, as he as he's, knows he's towards the end, he's writing about who God is, and he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. He's pointing us to this primary pur- purpose of who God is, but who God is in the Son, in Jesus, in the Lord, this ever-existing one. And I know this because if you look at kind of the chronological order of the Bible, it doesn't go... <laughs> quite the way we think it does, the way it's arranged in the canon of Scripture. And so as Ezra's compiling this, he doesn't put it in chronological order either. So Psalm 110, I'll read this for us in verse 1. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we've talked about this before, but there's a couple of different words for God. And so he says, the Lord, Adonai, he's talking about the Father, says to my Lord, Jehovah, the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And David wrote Psalm 110 before he wrote 
Psalm 118. And the same word we see here for Jehovah is the word that's used in Psalm 18 for the Son. All right? So now we got that out of the way. And that was a lot, right? It hurt my head when I was <laughs> doing this research too. But as we think about this, we have to know what David was talking about. We have to know what the Bible points us to. And it's that everything is in Jesus. He was before. He is present. He is ever existing, right? So he's going to be around forever. And then in verse 2, we kind of see God's qualifications or the son's qualifications. It says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So as you look throughout the, the book of Psalms, David's going to mention like pieces of this, but here in Psalm 18, he's going, he is everything. He's not just this like one aspect of our lives. No, he's in and through everything. He's my fortress. We sing about that as well. And I love that he's my deliverer. We'll talk about that today too. And so David knows he's everything. He's everything I need. He's where I want to be, right? We need to have this perspective about God. And then he talks about his worth in verse 3. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I've saved from my enemies. Remember that old song, So Shall I Be Saved From My Enemies, right? Um, and I, I love that because all throughout the text we we see this idea, and David's calling us back to this place to go, do we really know? Like at the end, right, at the end of his, his life, he's talking to his sons, he's talking to the people of God. He says, do we really know? Do we really know who God is and what he's about? Well, we know he's worthy. But at sometimes we kind of drop off of that and we go like, what's going on, God? What are you doing? And in verse 5, he says, the cords of death encompass me, the torrents of destruction assail me, the cords of Sheol entangle me, the snares of death confront me. Oh, David, you were like really happy to get to that point. Like, what's going on? Well, life happens, doesn't it? And we encounter difficulty. And so even though this historically, is, as he begins to write this, he's also thinking about how he came to the kingdom. He was anointed king, oh wait, but yet he didn't become king right away, right? He went through this power struggle that, that at points he really didn't even want to be a part of. He was like, I don't want to kill Saul, but he's trying to kill me. And uh, we're in this like back and forth battle. God, I just, you know, I don't want it to be this way. In fact, he lets Saul go multiple times when he could kill him. And then Saul finally, because of all of his bad choices, his life ends. And you know what happens when happened when Saul's life ends, when the, when the king's life ended? His son was with him, one of David's best friends, and he died right alongside of him. So can you imagine David finally takes the kingdom and he's thinking about on his life and how he took the throne? And he goes, but at that point, I don't know, was it a high point? Was it a low point? Yeah, I was anointed king. Yeah, I got to take the throne but that was probably one of the most difficult times for, us, for him too, as his best friend lost his life. And so as we, we got to think about this as we, we think, you know, everybody should just be happy all the time. Like we know Jesus, so that should be good enough, but yet life's difficult. And so we can't take that aspect out of living and following God. He walks us through it, but it doesn't make it not hard. It doesn't make it to this point where we can't share what's really going on. And that's what we should be about as a community of faith too. Like, we, we don't have to pull punches when it comes to how we're doing. Like, we always ask that question, how are you doing? Great. Are you really doing great? Because we really want to know. I mean, we're doing this life together, okay? And, and David certainly doesn't do this. He shares with us. He's like, either it's going good or it's not. And sometimes we just need to be able to be honest with each other, right? And so David does that. And then he says, but where do we go? I mean, where is our hope? We always, we come to those places and there has to be this response. So in verse 6, he says, in my distress, I call upon the Lord. Again, Jehovah, to my God, 
I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice, my cry to him reached his ears. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about this God who is the greatest listener of all time. And, and here David reminds us again, he called upon the Lord to his God. He cried for help. And guess what? God heard him. We always go, sometimes too, we just think like, man, God doesn't really have time for this. He's got more important things to do, making sure the universe runs right. Does he really want to talk with me? Yeah, he does. And David says, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry reached his ears. Did you know? When we cry out to God, that reaches his ears. Isn't that amazing that the cry that we offer would reach the king of the universe's ears? And I love this. I just want to read 7 through 24, and then we're going to jump back into a little more dialed-in focus on the text. Uh, But this is a picture of the future, too. So David, it can be a confusing psalm that we read, but just know he starts out with saying, hey, Jesus is everything. He's in everything. He's everything we need. He's where we want to be, and we can reach him at any time. And so in verse 7, I'll read this through verse 24. You can follow along with me. It says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherubim and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals and fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded. For I have kept the laws of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord was rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So the scripture talks about David as this man who is after God's own heart. I mean, can you imagine being called somebody like that? He's certainly somebody that we should follow his example. But God gives him a picture at the end of his life, not just what he's experienced, but he said, this is the Lord. The Lord is in everything. And by the way, the Lord is not just here with you. He was not just there at the beginning when he created everything. He's not just sustaining you right now. He's not just holding the universe together, but he is also this great judge. So isn't it interesting that God gave David a picture, an understanding of who the Lord is, who Jesus is, before Jesus even came as a baby and and lived a sinless life for us and died on the cross and was raised again from the dead. Alana and I were talking about that this morning, and I kind of went through that just short story, and she was like, she's not speechless very often. But this time this morning she was when we were talking about this. He's like, and he did that too, and he did that. uh, Yeah, and he's coming back, and when he does, he's going to be this judge that if you haven't put your faith and trust in him, if you haven't followed him with your life, it's not going to be a good day for you, right? And so David knows, hey, he's this holy God. Like, he's somebody that we should be in awe and, and fear and reverence of, but he's also this personal God that when I cry out to him, and 
he hears me. He hears my voice. He hears my cry. And he's been with me throughout this whole life. He's walked with me. And I love how David weaves that together. And so then uh, the second fill in the blank is going to be equipped for everything. So we know Jesus is in everything, and he equips us for everything. We'll find this in verses 25 through 32, because in this living rock, we have to remember he's everything that we would ever need. And so being equipped for everything, starting in verse 25, he says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And so what happens with those who live their lives following God, those who are merciful, right? It doesn't make sense for somebody who follows Jesus to, when somebody wrongs you, you're just like, you better be worried, all right? Because I'm going to come back and something's going to happen to you, right? You ever been in that situation? Like, like you, you, there's an accident that takes place, and you're like, you better watch out. Because if anything, yeah, everything ever happens again, like I'm coming after you. Well, as believers, we should be merciful, right? We should think whenever any, I mean, somebody accidentally hurts us or does something to somebody we love, we go, look, the only place we should go is mercy. Because what does God do? David knew it. For those who you are merciful with, we live a merciful life towards others. He says, He's going to be merciful with us. And then he says, with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. I love that word blameless in the Hebrew. It's to meme, and it's found in Genesis 6, 9, talking about Noah. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was righteous, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And if you read that account about Noah, you, you know that nobody else was righteous, right? That's why he brought that great flood. And, and as he says, blameless here. Now, these are people who are set apart, right? So we have, a, we have a great challenge. We have a great expectation to live up to, not just to be merciful, but to be blameless. Now, aren't we glad that Jesus, through what he's done for us, has covered everything we have ever done, past, present, and future? I had a conversation with somebody recently, and it, it, it kind of went like this. So, man, I, and I have it all the time. People ask me, because I'm a pastor, like, I don't know that God would want anything to do with me. I said, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, just done too many things. And here's the truth. While God wants us to live and walk blamelessly, David knew that God is a merciful God, and he extends that to us. But there's an expectation. So, hey, we want to live blamelessly. We want to walk in mercy, uh, but we want to pursue God as best we can. But luckily, he's made a way for us. And in verse 26, <clears throat> it says, with a purified, you show yourself pure, and with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. So what takes place with the purified, you show yourself pure. So as we walk with God in, in His light and His goodness and we seek Him, we all the more appreciate who He is, right? Have you ever wondered why maybe in those like, difficult seasons, you just, you're just you like, man, I don't have time for my Bible. Like Things are not going well, and does God even really care? I mean, I'm just not going to read my Bible. And you're like, man, you pick it up and you read it again, and, and how sweet is it? Well, in, in those times, we're seeking God wholeheartedly. We're following Him diligently and faithfully. What does it say? It says, with the purified, you show yourselves, yourself pure. So God makes Himself clear to us and pure as we spend time with Him. And then it says, with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Do, do you ever wonder why it's like, man, people don't, don't know God who are not following Him, and then they, they read the Word, or they try to seek God, and go, man, I, I just know that I could ever do that. I can't, I can't follow God. Well, yeah, you can't do it on your own because you need Jesus. But at times it seems that way. So this word for torturous, pathal in the Hebrew, means to be twisted. In Proverbs 8.8 8, it says, All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. See what takes place? As we, as we seek God, as we spend time with Him, 
the matters of purity and holiness become all the more clear, right? And of, of those who are twisted, who are, who are not seeking God, who are walking away from her, maybe even in difficult times when you just said, I'm going to put my Bible down for a while, and you're like, man, it, things don't seem right. Well, I wonder why. And in verse 27, there's this humility and pride that God gives us. So he equips us for everything. He's, kind of, he's telling us, David says, hey, while I'm walking towards the end of life, Here's some key things you want to remember for being equipped. There's some effort on our part that needs to take place, right? Godliness doesn't just happen by accident, <laughs> if you didn't know that, right? So newsflash, but that's not easy, and it doesn't just come by chance. We have to wholeheartedly seek God and put some effort out there, right? And so we want to be like what David is talking about here. He says in verse 27, for, for you save the humble, but the haughty eyes you bring down. And I've heard it many times, too, that it, you've heard this perspective before. I don't need God, right? And that is one of the saddest things that I ever hear in ministry. Um, Christy and I, we worked in student ministry for about 10 years before coming here and being blessed by being a part of this family and, um, and leading here. Um, but what I hear a lot of times, I would like go to schools and I'd spend time with students and, and there'd always be, you know, kids there as I'm kind of sitting with those who are believers, who go to our church. And I'd have one kid would look at me and be like, I don't know why you're here. I'm like, well, what do you mean, man? He's like, I don't need God. Okay, well, let me know how that goes, <laughs> okay? But I can tell you that there's been a lot of times, too, where those same individuals have come back and in a, in a puddle of tears said, I was wrong, Right? And so here, here's what God does, and he's trying to remind us, too, that as we, we work with other people who, who don't know God and we're trying to share our faith and encourage them, we also have to walk in a certain way. He says, for you save the humble people. That's how we have to be, not people that think like they're, they're great or awesome or, or everything's about us, because it's not. It's about God. But the haughty eyes you bring down. So either haughty eyes you're brought down sooner or they're brought down later, right? So the later is the alternative that is either I'm standing before God because I've died, and now I have to give an account for my life. And in that moment, you don't want to have spent your life being completely haughty, right? Being completely separated from God and thinking that you don't need Him. And so David, he gives us some warnings in being equipped, but he continues to point us in the dire- this direction of righteousness and holiness. So mercy, blamelessness, purity, and humility. And then here's what God does for us as well. So we, we walk with Him, and David knew this throughout his life, and he went through a lot of bad stuff, right? Everybody thinks like, David, he had it easy. No, he didn't, right? He made some good choices, but he also made some bad ones. And he had just as many difficult or sad life situations happen to him as probably many of us have had happen. And here's what he says about God. He says, for it is you who light my lamp in verse 28. And then he says, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, especially in the last, you know, like year and a half, although some things are changing and, and we've even adjusted things recently, which has been great. Uh, and I've loved to, just as you've been walking in, seeing your smiling faces, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's great, right? You always feel like and you're walking into stores, you're kind of seeing people without masks too, and you're going, oh, this is new, this is different, this is weird. But it's okay, right? It's how things are supposed to be, to see people's smiling faces and to communicate in that way. And so in the same way, as maybe some of us give light to other people with our expression, with our joy. God does this overwhelmingly for David all throughout his life. And he says, for it is you who light my lamp. It's not anything else because Jesus is, again, he's in everything. He equips us for everything. And so whether it's the good times, whether it's the bad times, he says, you light my lamp. 
the Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. And I can think of a lot of times walking through the darkness and I picked up the word. I said, God, I need, I need that light. I need some encouragement. And he always provides it, right? As we walk through the difficulty of the darkness, sometimes we do resort to, well, I don't need to spend any time with him. Well, if he really loved me, things would be better. But what has he given us? He's given us his ear as we cry out to him. David knows this. He says, when we do that, he lights our lamp. And so we're able to have joy in the difficulty. And then in verse 29, he says, for, you, for by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. It sounds like somebody who has confidence, right? Now, David was already, he was like this, he was this mighty warrior, right? So he wasn't somebody that a lot of people messed with anyway, but there were some difficult seasons. In fact, towards the end of his life, he goes into one of the last battles um, that he would ever go into, and he almost died. And his, his guys who were with him, the generals, said, okay, I think we need to retire the sword. So that doesn't last forever either, right? Whether it's um, being strong or powerful or being good at what you do, Everything we have in this physical life will let us down at some point until we stand before God. And so we can't build ourselves up on those. And even David, he says, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. And I bet you even on his deathbed, he was going, I could still do that because I walk with the Lord. Not because I have a strong arm and a sword and a mind that's been trained for battle, but because I walk with God. I can stand against anybody, right? That's a good word. It's an encouraging one. We need, to, we need to practice in the lives that we live. And in verse 30, he says, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord, again, he says, This is the word of the Lord, Jehovah, proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Now, this is a guarantee. So this God, His way is perfect. And sometimes we go to, like, God, I'm not sure. Like, I know... <laughs> Things are getting a little crazy, or things are not the way I would rather want them to be right now. But David, again, as he writes this, he, he goes in this perspective of life. He's always walked me through. And I love that as we, as we kind of walked into like this strange season last year in COVID, and we weren't sure really how it was going to go, I, again, I would talk with some of our older saints who are here, and they're going, not worried. How can you not be worried, <laughs> right? Because they spent time, certainly longer than I have, walking with the Lord. And so I got encouragement from them as well. I hope you did too. And so in the same way, David says, this God, his way is perfect. So whatever's going to happen, he's already got it figured out, okay? The word of the Lord, Jehovah, it proves true. So as we go through this, we, we look to his word and we go, no matter where we're at, it proves true. He has a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Uh, Eusebius of Caesarea, the quote should be up there. He said this about this psalm. He himself is the protector of all the ones hoping in him and that there is not God except our Lord and there is none strong except our God. So, so here's where we get into like the silliness of life and, and all the, the pursuits and the things that we go after. Not that God doesn't give us joy and he doesn't allow us to experience life and have fun and grow with our families. But if we trust in anything else more than God, if we seek anything else more than God, or we say, this is the most important thing in my life, then it's going to let us down. And Eusebius knew this, a historian. He said, look, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people that have followed God, and here's how they lived. They knew that the Lord was their shield, and they would take refuge in him. And then in verse 31, it says, for who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except God? 
our God. And so we, we saw the same idea in Micah, where there, there are these people who are all throughout time, until Jesus comes back and he restores everything and he makes everything right, they're going to follow their own gods. And when he was talking about their own gods, he said, everything that's not actually God. And so when Micah says that, he says, but we have this perfect God, right? We have this God that, like, like David says here, says, for who is God but the Lord? And he says, again, there, the Lord Jehovah, this ever-existing one, who is a rock except our God? Well, <laughs> nobody is. Nothing is. So we have to have this right perspective that Jesus is in everything. He sustains us. He equips us for this life that, yes, can be difficult at times, but he's our rock. Like, what do we go to, right? We hear a lot of people use that, that phrase like, like, she's my rock, or like, they're my rock, or like, but, but who really is our rock? We sort of throw that around, but when the Bible talks about this rock, it's the only rock that really matters, right? And this rock, this word, in the Hebrew, it's the word sir, and it just means something solid or immovable. And we think about a lot of rocks, right? Like, there's some rocks I can pick up, but there are those ones that are immovable. It's like those ones you see, like, around those cur- curbs, uh, you know, you're going to the department stores, and they really don't like, like, 18-wheelers or, like, people popping the curb in their car and driving over their nice grass. So the, what do they do? They put these huge rocks. So people go, I really don't want to run into that. <laughs> so they think twice about how they turn into the parking lot. Uh, God is much greater than this we know he is. And he's this rock, this solid, immovable rock, because even some other machine had to put that big rock there, right? But nobody puts God anywhere. He is always there. In Deuteronomy 32, 31, there's the same word used for rock. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. Whoa, what did you say there? In 32, 31, Deuteronomy says, for their rock is not as our rocks. There's a lot of rocks out there, right? People that think that are our rocks, maybe even some big rocks, but they're not like our rock when he says it here. Is our enemies are by themselves. Do you know what it's like, like to live life and to trust in all these other rocks that are not God? He says it's like being by yourself. Oh, that's scary, right? To live a life without God, to not have His presence in your life, or even to live a life going, yeah, I, I, I know God, like I'm, follow, I'm trying to do my best following Him, but then never really trusting in Him with the entirety of your life. And it says here, it's like being by yourself. So who, who, who do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? People that trust in the Lord, that really believe that that rock is the only rock, or trust in all these little rocks, these little pebbles in life that will leave us empty, like being by yourself. And then in verse 32, he says, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. So what did he do? He equipped him with strength and made his way blameless in everything that he has already done. And so in verses 33 through 45, I want to read that again for us because it's where David, he finds his victory. We're not going to deep dive into this, but we're going to finish in the last few verses of Psalm 18. But this is an important piece for us. So as David walks throughout his whole life, he gets to this point, and here's where he says, here's where the victory is. If you don't know where it is, here it is. Verse 33, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. 
and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You, have, you gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me seek under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was no one. There was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known or served. As they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. So where did David find his victory? Where did he realize that and the Lord is in everything? He equips me for everything. Oh, and furthermore, as anointed king over Israel, he, he walked with me. And everybody else who came against us, it wasn't because of me. It was because of this God that we serve. It was because of this rock that we rely on. And that is where we find victory. And so in, just in the last couple of verses, I won't spend a lot of time here, but I think through this season, um, we've, we've done our best. We've, we've tried to cling to the Lord. We've gone, yeah, Lord, you are in everything. This is, we want to be with you through this difficult season. And even right now, as we're kind of walking out of this, uh, we know that you do equip us for everything. But I think there's this other side of this, that David, as he's ending, it's kind of a sobering thought or sobering reality that, that even as believers, sometimes we walk through really difficult stuff. Sometimes we walk through bondage that we just feel like we can't get out of. And he's going to address this as he closes out the psalm. Some of the last words that he says, and it's the last fill in the blank, delivered from everything. So we know that the Lord is in everything, that that Jesus is in everything. He equips us for everything, and then he delivers us from everything. And, And that's good news, too, because we not only walk with God faithfully, but not all of us have been at that point. Maybe not all of us are at that point right now. We're just going like, it's really tough, and like sometimes I don't even feel like picking up my Bible. I don't want to tell anybody that because they'll think I'm a bad Christian. But the truth is sometimes we feel like that, right? And God says, David says, through God here towards the end of his life, verse 46, the Lord lives, and blessed be the rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. So what did God do for David? He delivered him spiritually, right? So as he's walking through the, the, the difficulty of life, the good times in life, the end of life, like what Moses said in Deuteronomy, and, and he, he talked about this rock being a rock that is immovable, this rock that nobody else is going to be able to touch, this rock that you can't even compare to all these other little rocks because, well, they're going to let you down. They're going to make you feel like you're by yourself because you are if you don't walk with God. And he says, the Lord lives. Who do we serve? Well, Lord who lives. Isn't that good news? We don't serve some like God or some, you know, little G God or some individual who like lived a really long time ago and then people are still like, you know, praying to him and saying things to him and who are they worshiping? A bunch of dead people, right? Or gods who don't exist. And it's like they're by themselves. And so David reiterates this. He says the Lord lives. He's this living God. It's different than everybody else who claims to be a God or a significant person. And blessed be my rock. So he's praising God and exalted be the God of my salvation. So there's nothing else that saves me. There's nothing else that brings me satisfaction or joy in life. There's only one God who rescues. 
And then he also gives physical deliverance in verse 47 and 48. He says, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. So maybe you're not in a great battle. Uh, Maybe you're not fighting somebody with real physical weapons, but maybe you've been in the spiritual area of bondage or uh, maybe a place you just feel like you're stuck and you can't get out of that. Well, David says, hey, this God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, he's this living God who rescued me from my enemies, and he does do that. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Um, in just a couple of weeks, we'll end this series, and we'll start a series on spiritual warfare centered around Ephesians 6. And we're going to look at these areas that sometimes we don't, we don't even like to look into. We just sort of go like, I feel like I'm not having victory there, but I don't want to talk to anybody about it. And as you don't do that, as we don't share, as we don't grow together, we find ourselves in this place where we're not having victory in these battles. We find ourselves where we're not having victory in some areas where we fall short. And it's okay because we do, but David says, hey, he, here's what God does. He rescues me. He delivered me from the man of violence. And in this life, there's a lot of that. And then what does he do? He turns towards God and he praises him. So this, for the spiritual, this physical del- deliverance, he's rescued him. And in verse 49, he says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. And David had a lot of reasons to sing and to praise his name. He had a lot of reasons to be sad, too, of the difficulty of life. But he doesn't keep that from going, as long as the Lord is in everything, which he is. I trust him. He's equipped me for every, everything that's gone throughout my life. I love it because, especially as like young people, we go, oh, no. You know, this, this thing happened. My best friend, she doesn't like me anymore. Like my, like my life is over. But we don't have perspective for what the real difficulties of life are, what the things that will happen. We have to go. We have to go, God, you equip us. You allow us to walk through the difficulty of life. And we want to, especially at the end, what do, you, what do you find that most people who follow Jesus for the entirety of their life, uh, almost about to meet him face to face, they say, eh, it's been a good life, right? It's been a wonderful life because I walked with God, and he equipped me for every season because I trusted him, this rock. And then verse 50, he closes it out. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. So here's the good news. We're included in this group of people. This Jesus who we know, he came, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross for our sins, he was raised from the dead, he ascended on high, and then, by the way, he's coming back. David includes all of who this God is, and he, he knows as he walks with God, he says, the great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed. What does he do? In the Hebrew, the steadfast love, this has said, we've talked about that before, that he brings to us faithfully and regularly as long as we trust in that rock. And he says, and this is to David and his offspring, everybody that's come after, everybody that's followed God after, all of his offspring, those who follow Jesus and put their faith and trust in him. And so in this, in Psalm 18, there's a lot of stuff here. I'd encourage you to go and just read it over and over again um, and experience this uh, for yourself, how it applies to your life. But this guy, P.T. Barnum, what we talked about at the beginning, um, he, he built this empire of circuses and things, but he eventually ended up leaving it. And there was a reason that he did, because he tried pursuing all this fame, all this life, and he ended up letting it all go. And he, there was a song at the end of the movie. I really liked it because it felt like 
it gave perspective. At the beginning of his life, he goes, circus is where you want to be. Everything's right here. You don't want to be anywhere else. And he sings a little bit different song. At the end of the movie, um, he sings a song, and it kind of goes like this, or at least this is one of the lines. From now on, these days, these eyes will not be blinded by the light. And that light that he was talking about was the circus. It was fame. It was success. It was everything that he, he could have gained in life, which he gained a lot. But a lot of things that he lost were things that he really cared about, really were more important than that. He had four children. One died early on in life. He was married to his wife for 44 years, and she died at the age of 64, but he wasn't there for most of it. And towards the end of her struggle, even though he remarried, he, he, he had this perspective that my eyes are not going to be blinded by the light anymore. It's the light of everything else, everything else that the world can offer. And, and just like David, he says, look, are we going to trust in this rock that actually is a rock and not this rock that leaves you feeling empty and like there's nothing there? And so we have this choice. Um, just like many people who go about life and like P.T. Barnum, who at the end we're, we're going, yeah, I think I did it the wrong way. I think that thing that I was talking about at the beginning, it wasn't really the thing that I should have been spending all my time on, and I kind of wasted it, right? So we want to be people who don't waste our lives, right? We want to be people that when we think about this, when we think about this living rock, God actually is that for us. And everything we need is actually wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus and what He's done for us. The good news is it's available to everybody. Uh, anybody who wants to can put their faith and trust in Jesus and and that changes everything. So I want to just share that with you before we close, that if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's as easy as this. You can admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He died on the cross for your sins. He was raised from the dead. And that if you confess with your mouth that truth, then you'll be saved. And that's a message that we all need to hear, that everybody needs to submit to and follow God wholeheartedly with their life and trust in the rock. Don't trust in all the other little rocks in life, but let's trust in the rock, because he's everything that we need. Let me pray for you. Uh, Father, we come to you uh, today. We're thankful for your word um, that uh, penetrates our hearts. Um, God, we pray that we could live a life like David as we look back and hopefully be able to say, um, God, you are in everything. Lord Jesus, you are in everything. You were at the beginning. You created everything. You are in the middle of everything that's going on right now. You're holding it all together. And Lord, you are this great judge um, that will judge the nations. You will come back and you will figure out for yourself who really trusts in you, the rock, not a bunch of little rocks that don't matter, um, rocks that leave us feeling empty. Um, God, I pray that we would trust in you wholeheartedly and fully. Um, God, I pray that if there's anybody in the room now that doesn't know you, uh, maybe it's somebody that's listening online, that um, they would make that decision for the first time to trust in you as their Lord and Savior. God, we know that you deliver us. Maybe there's a believer in here who has been struggling during this season, who maybe has been trusting in a lot of other things to bring joy and happiness and fulfillment, and it just hasn't worked. Um, God, I pray uh, for those in the room that have struggled in that way, um, that you would show them your deliverance. Um, God, that just like David, you walked him out of so many bad situations, and you took care of him, you preserved him for life, and the more important thing, you preserved him for life eternal with you. Uh, I pray that we could live that way. and. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen.